Thanks for joining us today. This is Kevin Mullins, pastor at Broad River Church, and we're really grateful that you checked us out. If this message has been inspiring to you, we hope that you visit our website at broadriver.church, and you can go to the plan a visit page and see if there's a time that you could visit Broad River Church in person. You also can give at that same webpage, and you can check us out also on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Broad River Church. We hope this message is a blessing to you. We're so glad you joined us. Today has been a historic day, and it's the first day that we ever had two services. And I guess I'd just like to say, looking around, it's a good thing that we had two services, right? We wouldn't have had room for people today. So let's give God praise for that. Let's give God praise for that. Amen. By the way, just to give you an idea that sometimes pastors have really bad ideas, my plan was to start our two services next Sunday on Easter. And everybody on the team said, Pastor Kevin, that's a really, really bad idea. We should try this before Easter, and so I'm glad, I'm glad that we did. So all of you, hear this coming out of mouth, you were right, okay? So um, two, a couple of things, um, uh, Larry, my father-in-law, is going to be coming to speak to us and close out our series, this Burden is Light series, but a couple of things before he comes. First of all, our Good Friday service is this coming Friday at 7 o'clock. We'd love to have you here for this. Bring family, bring friends. It's really a different kind of service for us. Um, it's much more solemn in some ways. A lot, there's a lot more a soberness to it as we really reflect on the cross of Christ. We reflect on the blood that Jesus shed for us. Um, it's in, in, in today's church, we do a lot less talking about the blood and a lot less talking about the cross. And, and that's not the case here. We believe that the gospel, the good news that Jesus has for us, flows directly out of the sacrifice that he made for us. So be here Friday night at 7 o'clock as we celebrate Good Friday together. And then Sunday morning, Easter is next Sunday. Anybody excited about Easter? It's going to be awesome. I am too. We have two gatherings, of course, to choose from, 9 and 10.30. Um, plenty of room for you to invite people. I would say, especially at 9 o'clock, if you have a big crowd that you're bringing with you, come whenever you can, but there's a lot more space at the 9 o'clock, and, you, and maybe some of our regulars, you might choose uh, to come at 9 o'clock to make some more space in the, at the 10.30 um, gathering, but Easter is going to be awesome. Uh, we always have some special things afterwards with some gift bags for the kids, and so it's going to be great. We want you to be here for that, and then the, finally, today, as soon as our gathering is over, step number two of our growth track will happen. Our growth track is how people come closer to the center of what's happening here at Broad River Church and really see how they can become a part of it and, and learn how their story of redemption moves towards them uh, discovering their destiny and what God has for them. Step two on the second Sunday is called discovering your design. You don't have to have completed any other of the steps. You can jump in on the week that you're here. Today is discover your design. It's a little bit less of a class and more of a lab as you have an opportunity to fill out a personality profile and a spiritual gifts inventory. We're doing all of this because we believe that the more that we learn about ourselves, we can be connected to what God has for us. 
and um, I'm excited that, that that will happen today. As soon as our gathering's over at 12 o'clock, it takes just a little bit less than one hour. There's snacks available. There's child care provided, and um, we'd love for you to stick around for that. We're going to be complete, completing our series, This Burden is Light, today. My father-in-law is, uh, is, is here today. They've actually been here for about a month, and it's been an awesome time. I told the earlier gathering today that I, I have the best father-in-law ever. And uh, we, we do lots of fun things together, like uh, the last two days we've spent doing this really awesome, invigorating activity called watching golf on television. <laughs> and he's an awesome watching golf on television partner. Um, but but our, our privilege today is to have somebody who is in pastoral ministry um, at least 45 years. And uh, so we are so honored to have him coming to close out our uh, This Burden is Light. And when he comes, he can give you the page number that you're going to turn to because I've been trying to keep track of it all, and it's not happening. But we're really glad he's here. Would you help me welcome Pastor Larry Glenn? Already has been awesome. And uh, we're glad to be here for this service. And I don't know about you, now, my hair actually looks darker there. Does it look a little? (laughs) Kevin was trying to get us to send him a picture, and the one I wanted to send him was one that showed a golf ball about this far from the pin, representing one of my better shots ever. (laughs) But we got that instead, okay? Okay. I'll talk more in the lesson today about the way my brain works, but I have become addicted to the bumper music that sets up this lesson. Matter of fact, we got here and this lesson series was going on, and I am I'm singing that song all week long. Okay, just so you know that it's in my head. Pastor Kevin has been teaching about taking off one yoke. And putting on another yoke. The yoke is representative of a lifestyle in which we live our lives. I want to say, before I get too far along, my wife was to stand. She's, she's the better part of me right there. Come on, stand up. Y'all, y'all already have, have got to know her. Thanks. But anywhere there's digging in the dirt or flowers, anything to do with flowers, she's going to be right in the middle of it. So she's already found her calling here. Talking about changing the lifestyle, changing the yoke. Yoke is representative of a manner of way that we live our life. And as the theme would indicate, one of these lifestyles is hard or difficult, and one of them is easy or light. And we have to learn how to change and, and do how Jesus would want us to do. You know that old saying, what would Jesus have us do? And so we have to learn what Jesus would want us to do. And it is a learned process. We have to learn to change. Or else we will be like the old country song by Hank Williams. And I thought I'd go ahead and give you the whole name because... The people in that first service was not really sure who Hank Williams was. Hank Williams said, I'm just carrying on an old family tradition. How many of you ever heard Hank Williams up here? Hey, y'all, y'all will get the rest of my jokes then. That's good. It's good. 
So we do have to learn to change or we will carry on the old family tradition. We learned bad habits sometime in our family. We didn't mean to. They didn't mean to give them to us, but that's the way things happen. I uh, had a minor in psychology, and I remember the picture in the psychology book about the baby monkey. The baby monkey never knew to be afraid of the snake unless his mother taught him. Do you know that? How many of you remember that picture in the psychology book? Now, y'all, y'all not psychology buffs, I can tell. So the baby monkey, and it's not a bad thing to be afraid of the snake, is it? The snake represented to the baby monkey a danger. And so he learned, though, to fear from his parents. Last week, Pastor Kevin taught us about the value of the gift of our presence. I hope you went home and practiced that. Stared gazingly into each other's eyes for a couple of hours because it was really an awesome message about what we mean to each other. And today on Palm Sunday, as we recall the Lord's triumphant entry into Jerusalem, I want to talk to you about judgment and mercy, or specifically, the gift of a non-judgmental heart. You talk about giving the gift that keeps on giving. Clark won't have anything on you. All right? All right, text, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. They went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst... They said unto him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Father, today we ask that you would bless the reading of your word. And as we read it, as we study it, give us hearts to hear. Give us the desire to learn. But most of all, Lord, give us a will to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus comes to the temple. Early in the morning, and we're here pretty early, but there was a group here even earlier. It's it's really, Jesus did some of his great works early. He did them out in the public. He did them out in the temple. The people came to him. Jesus had no props, no iPad, 
Now, you'll notice I'm up here today with no iPad. Uh, I'm old school. I, I have, uh, have paper still here. And uh, the reason for that is I have this fear of getting up here and my iPad freezing on me. See, you, you know your age when, you, when you're not quite. I do know how to run an iPad. Well, somewhat. So uh, he has no props, no, no iPad, nothing. He did use props on occasions. He used a coin. He used a sheep. Sometime, as Pastor Kevin did this morning, he would simply take a child, lift him up, set him in the middle of the temple to say, okay, let me talk to you about the kingdom of heaven. But on cue, verse number three, Scribes and the Pharisees brought the props. They brought a woman who the Scripture says, now I'm going to quote this part from the old King James because it, it's just a, little more, just a little more vicious. It said they brought a woman caught in the very act. Now you can create any word picture here that your mind can concoct. Her hair is a mess. They didn't give her time to... Freshen up. She's, she's caught in the act. They want to get her right to Jesus. Her hair's a mess. Her clothes are barely there. And ladies, this was a different day. There was no Me Too movement here now. The man didn't show up. There was no man, just the woman. Her partner in crime not there, but the woman was not the real reason that they were there that day. In the law, they said in verse 5, Moses commanded us, and again, you see, you see the, the judgment just sneering from their lips as, as they said, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Can you just hear the contempt they have for her? Stone them. So what do you say? They're not at all concerned about the woman. But they just want to have some reason to bring a charge against him. And what was intended to be a setup to find a reason to bring a charge against him for violating the law of Moses, Jesus turns into one of the most beautiful object lessons for the believer. Now, this is really important. I'm starting to get to the good stuff here right now. We know a judgmental person when we see one. How many know that's true? How many of you, you just know, you know, the minute you walk into a room, they're, they're, they're running you down in their heart. We know a judgmental person when we see one and we know how it feels to be judged, but we do not know how to identify judgmentalism in ourselves. And so before we can really win this battle today, we have to, we have to identify judgmentalism in ourselves. A funny thing happened on the way to us becoming children of God. In order to really be a child of God, thank you, we had to realize that we needed God, that we were lost. And we asked Jesus to come into our hearts. We asked Him to to have his way in our life. And we got what, back in the South, we got what was called conviction. Now, if any of y'all hadn't already picked up, I am from 
a different part of the country. I have been told I have an accent. Now, I don't know. And so in the South, we came to judge anybody who had not developed our particular set of convictions. Or, or maybe they were running the same direction we were running, but they just wasn't running quite fast enough to suit us. You know what I mean? And so we, you, we had taken this glorious occasion of God saving us to the utmost, saving us when we were at our worst. And because we loved Him, we wanted to please Him, and we did some good things, and then we thought, well, everybody's got to do it at the same pace that I do. And so then we began to judge those who weren't moving at the same speed as us. We took the gospel of grace, and we changed it into a religion of works. Works became our calling card. That means that's what we were known for. We thought we were doing God a favor. Works became our calling card and judgment became our weapon of choice. And then I put on my notes, ouch. I've got a couple more ouches, but we'll try to get them out of the way as soon as we can. Turn with me also to Romans chapter 14, verse 13. That's on page 949, if you'd like to turn there with us. Romans 14, verse 13 says, now this is really plain. I, I love this translation that we're reading out of because it's so plain, it's so direct, so to the point. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. The old conundrum question we used to ask, is kind of, we kind of meant it as a joke, but we ask, would ask a guy, have you quit beating your wife yet? There's not a good answer for that. The writer of Romans is sort of presuming that we've all been doing this. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. He's implying that we have been doing it. We're guilty. But he says, from here on, let's not do that anymore. He said, but rather decide. Everybody say decide. It's a really powerful word. Let us rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother, or I might add a sister. Jacinta, when she was a little girl, had a, had a little expression that her mama kept alive all through these years. Jacinta came to her mama one time and was telling her something, and she says, Mama, I have decided up in my mind... You know, that's really about all there is to it. If, if you decide up in your mind, and this is what the writer here is saying, I know, uh, he says in verse 14, I know and I am persuaded that in the Lord Jesus, nothing is clean in itself, or unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Do you understand how liberating that is? A lot of the stuff that we have split hairs over all through time 
had wars over, probably is not that big of a deal. The writer says, nothing in and of itself is unclean, but it's unclean. So if God gave you a conviction, honor your conviction. Do it as unto God. Just don't beat up your brother over it. Okay? That's what he's saying here. Nothing is unclean in itself, but it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. I know that you personally don't eat meat. And I go out with you for dinner and I order a big old slab of steak instead of a salad. I'm really being an offense to you and I shouldn't do that. Now, I may pick better meal partners that like space. But, but if I'm with you and I know you don't, I should not do that. And, and he, he frames it by saying, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. We don't realize that our words have the power to destroy. I have power to give life. And it, with my same words, I have the power to destroy a life. So he says, don't destroy... I don't just look at this other person over here as, well, that, that's old Joe over there. That is a person for whom Christ died just like he died for me. It makes me realize that I have to have a sensitivity to his feelings. He said, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be evil spoken of. For as the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. That's a really welcome statement. Whoever it is on this journey of serving Christ, they are acceptable. It's not your job to fix them. They are already approved. They are acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and a mutual upbuilding or edifying. Isn't that great? I ought to just find ways of building you up. And uh, that's what this scripture is talking about. It's easy for self-righteousness to set in when our hearts shift from devoting to do life with God to simply doing things for God. I've lost my purpose. I just doing things rather than living my life with Him. Jesus taught us to avoid letting even a little bit of that religious culture into our lives. He called it leaven, and he said it would corrupt the entirety of our life. Whatever else we may excel at could be irreparably marred by us having a judgmental spirit. You might do everything else so well, but that one thing will keep us from having great stature with God and with man. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, I'm just going to quote it. It's, it should show up on the Listen to what Paul said. He said, if I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I do, I do not have love, I gain nothing. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. 
That's, that's kind of saying what you give out is what's coming back, you know. If we don't like how it feels to us, let's decide. The danger of a judgmental or critical spirit creates a false dynamic in our relationship. Judgment is based on the faulty assumption. Now my wife's going to, she's going to bring this up against me, I know. But I'm going to go ahead and say it. Listen to what it says. Judgment is based on the faulty assumption that we are right in every situation and that our opinion is always called for and must be expressed. Now, you don't think I'm going to hear about that later on. I, I will. I'm just like you. We all think that we get the last word and that what we think really matters. And I did put an ouch on that one as well. We think that our opinion is always called for and that it always must be expressed. Back up in that same area there to verse 10 of that 14th chapter. The writer says, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. If you'll notice in between verse 10 and verse 13, this verse appears. Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. What he's saying to us, simply put, he's reminding us that we are not God. When we judge, when we put down, when we tear down, when we, when we disintegrate someone else. Did you ever hear anyone tell someone off and, and say, well, I gave them a piece of my mind. That's not good. That's not a good thing. So anyhow, he's, he's saying, simply put, we are not God. And then Romans 11, 13, one more time. I'm, I want this one to sink in. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of our brother or our sister. Now, I have one more set of things I'm going to put on the screen just so that we realize I'm not talking about the guy sitting across the room. I'm talking about me. This is the way judgmentalism appears in our own heart. They are lazy or they wouldn't be in this mess. You ever think that? Say that? Mm. They're disorganized. Therefore, they must be unreliable. They don't value theology, so they must be shallow. They're overweight. I threw this in here for self-defense. They're overweight, so they must be greedy. They're in debt, so they must be impulsive. So you see what happens. We see something, we see a condition, we make a judgment. When a judgmental spirit takes over our lives, it creeps into every facet of our being. It becomes an addiction. And you know how powerful addictions are. They, they are all-consuming. And so, simply put, Romans 13, 14, 13, one more time. 
let us not judge one another anymore. Since I've already quoted Hank, I'm going to quote one more modern poet. And I'll give you the story behind this. Paul went into Athens. It was a very godless place. And he went up to Mars Hill. And there on Mars Hill, he found an altar with an inscription. And it was by a poet of their day. And, and they put a big inscription out in the public square. And, and uh, Paul, before he begins to preach Jesus, quotes one of their modern day poets. And I always felt like that was, if, he, if Paul could do it, I can do it. Okay? That's kind of how I get to this point. So, another modern poet said... You say it best when you say nothing at all. Sometime we just, we just need to hold that beautiful thought we had and just kind of swallow it and let it, let it pass on because it's not always for the best. Since I've already used terms like generational, talking about the snake and the monkey and, and our parents, I've used terms like addictive to describe the malady that is the judgmental heart. I realize that it's not easily defeated or vanquished. You can't phase it out. There's not a 10-step plan to get over being judgmental. Do you know that? I haven't seen one. Let me tell you what I have experienced and, and a little bit of in my life. But if the gift of a non-judgmental heart is the greatest gift you can give your spouse, your children, your church, your co-worker, your world, most likely it will not come by degrees or gradually. Remember what we've read several times? We have to decide. I'm just not going to do that anymore. That's not who I want to be. I don't like how that feels when it's done on me. Therefore, I'm not going to do it anymore. It will probably be an aha moment. And I, I don't, when I tell you this, I don't tell you this in any way to tell you that I have arrived or that I have completely conquered this, but I've, I've made some progress. I told you we came from the south. We had a culture in the south. And I went up into Idaho, pastored in Idaho for several years. My wife and I were on our way. And I don't know if she remembers the exact. I can tell you the turn. I can tell you where I was on the road. When God, we were discussing how were we to respond to these new situations that we found ourselves in. And I didn't get a moment, and she got hers later. We got our moment together when God simply came down and assured us that the weight of the world was not on our shoulders, that we didn't have to fix everybody who was broken. I can't tell you what a relief that has been. I'm not qualified to carry the weight of the world. I'm not qualified to judge the world. And so I had, and I remember it so well, I had an aha moment. And I looked up the word epiphany in the dictionary, 
are actually on my phone. And it defines epiphany as a moment of sudden revelation or insight. It could happen while you're in prayer. It could happen during this brief sermon this morning. It could happen while you're reading the Bible in your own private time. But I am convinced that in order for us to change, it won't happen by degrees, but it will just it will come to us like a, the old light bulb clicking on above our head. And we will we will have an aha moment and we will realize, hey. I'm going to do that. I have decided up in my mind that I am going to do that right now. James chapter 2 is another motivator for why I pray God give us all a non-judgmental heart. Listen to what James 2 and 13 says. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You want to know who wins? Mercy wins every time. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's as simple as realizing I am not God. It, it becomes when I am more concerned about restoration. I'm more cer- concerned about getting someone back close to God than I am about enforcing some rules. Jesus cared more about the woman's future in John 8 than he did her past. He tells her, Woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. God does not want mercy to be an occasional part of our life. He wants it to be the very way we live our life. The the posture of our hearts. Because we don't want to forget the debt that was paid for us. Father, today... I ask that you would give each of us an aha moment. Give us an epiphany, Lord. We make a decision today to not judge anymore. I pray today that you would complete the work. Take the heavy yoke of judgmentalism off of us. Make each of us, Lord, a reservoir of your love and your compassion for all those that you put in our path. We ask it today in Jesus' name. Do your work in our hearts, Jesus. Amen.